Hey guys, and welcome back yet again to the Warrior Monk Podcast. Thank you for joining me again, and in this episode we have Dr. Craig Casper. Craig was nice enough to reach out to me via social media. He actually has his own podcast going on, The Bravest Podcast, and we found that we were really aligned on a lot of similar subjects, such as resilience and growth, and influenced by a lot of the same people. And so we decided to do some collaboration, and a few weeks ago I joined Craig on his podcast, and in the same session I recorded as well, and I'm releasing my interview with Craig for my podcast, and Craig is definitely a warrior monk. Uh, He is, like I said, big on resilience, he's big on personal growth, and the fact that he is a vestibular specialist fits so perfect into the philosophy of the warrior monk because it's all about balance. A vestibular specialist, if you don't know, is someone who is focusing on the health and welfare of the inner ear and how people deal with balance. So I thought we had some really cool conversation to talk about this from a figurative and literal sense. And before I get into the conversation, guys, I just got to throw it out there. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the best service out there for getting yourself into audiobooks and programming and you can get a free 30-day trial as well as a download of a book or program of your choice at audibletrial.com forward slash warrior monk podcast just this past month i listened to dan crenshaw's book fortitude which is a great book on resilience a great book on an analyzing, assessing, and dissecting the outrage culture that has become to rear its ugly head in American culture lately, and I thought that Dan has a great perspective on some of the social trends that we've had coming about in our culture lately. Just one recommendation, but they have an unlimited number of programs and books for you to listen to, so just go ahead and go over to audibletrial.com forward slash podcast. And get yourself an audible book. All right, guys. So we're going to roll into the conversation here with Craig Casper. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Ladies and gents, Dr. Craig Casper. All right, guys. Thank you again for coming back to the Warrior Monk podcast. In this episode, I'm happy to say I've got Dr. Craig Casper joining me from New York. He is gracious enough to reach out to me in the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, He listened to some of my uh, podcasts and saw some of my content and realized that we had some kind of like views on some things and reached out and one conversation led to another. And now I've joined him on his podcast and he's joining me on mine. So thank you for joining me, man. And I'm, I'm happy doing so to do some collaborating with you. It's absolutely my pleasure, Lance. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk to you and, and to learn from you also, and uh, to have this conversation to kind of kickstart whatever might come after. So I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. So for anybody, uh, any of my listeners, will you go into your background a little bit and please feel free to, to, to go as in-depth as you want around any, any time constraints here? Jeez, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll try not to bore anybody. Um, look, my background, I'm, I, I'm up in New York. Um, I've, I've been a New Yorker for pretty much my entire life. My, my family, just to go back from a historical perspective, 
my dad's side of the of the family goes back in New York City well over a hundred years. So we're we're New Yorkers through and through with respect oh, to you. Oh geez, no doubt. Um, uh, and you know, there's there's a there's some deep deep roots in New York, and um, a lot of my philosophies come from uh, just my grandparents and my dad and all the things that they went through in early New York. Um, and then my mom's side of the family, my mom is uh, basically a kid who was born in Czechoslovakia right before the war, and uh, her father unfortunately passed away around that time and. Uh, and her and her sister and her mom went through world war two and all the hor horrible things that happened during that time. And, uh, she was orphaned for a period of time. And, you know, I look at my mom as a survivor and you talk about things that make people make up people's, uh, contribute to people's makeup. And, you know, my mom, after the war, they were reunited in Germany of all places. And, um, she, as soon as she could, she was 17, 18 years old, jumped on a ship and took it straight across the Atlantic to New York city where she basically started with nothing. And, uh, it's that survivor mentality, uh, that I think I get from her. And then there's a, a solid work ethic that I get from my dad's side uh, of the family, my dad. So, uh, it's, it's, um, I, I, it's a kaleidoscope of, of, uh, of, of genetics from all over the world. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, um, I guess the more I think about it as I get older, it, 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 I, I, I've taken so much from my parents and from, from, from their, their history, um, probably more than I know. Um, so yeah, so I grew up, uh, I, I started in New York City, but I grew up about 20 minutes north of the city in a suburb north of New York City. And uh, I, was, uh, I, was, I was an involved kid. <laughs> you know, I, I, there's a lot of things that I was interested in. Um, I spent a lot of my time with music, a lot of my time with creativity, uh, I was a freestyle bike kid. I was a skateboard kid, broke my arm in half, bones sticking out, um, played bass in a hardcore band through most of my childhood. That was the mid eighties during that period of time. I played lacrosse. Um, and I, I basically loved music and I, I loved doing things that scared me a little bit. <laughs> and I think that carries you to today as well. Sure. You, from everything we've talked about, you seem like you're a really balanced dude. And I, I like hearing some, uh, some of these things in people's past that kind of stick out as like the, you know, you always meet someone or, or talk to someone for the first time and you just get that initial impression on, on who they are. And then they tell you something about um, what they did as a kid. And you're like, really, I did that too. Or really, I could never see you doing that. <laughs> So, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a lot more to that story too. It's a, yeah, I'm again, I'm trying to kind of give you the cliffs notes here, but, but look, there's, you're right. As, things that, that you experience and that you're drawn to as a child really, uh, build up and serve as the building blocks for who you are as an adult. And, you know, as, as old as I get, uh, the more I look back on those periods of time and I recognize the specific things that have occurred in my life and the, this, the significance that they play in terms of the way I perceive things. And, uh, on the other side of the equation is things that I, I wish I could do differently and change as I start to look back on my life. Uh, not that I regret anything per se, but you're a different person as you go through life. Um, and, and, uh, with time breeds, hopefully some wisdom as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. The one, the one thing that's inevitable is we're all going to change regardless of the, the fact that we think we're not. <laughs> Changes happening every day, every right. day. So, um, going back to your parents a little bit, your uh, so your mom came over here. Just we, were, we we just got done having conversation for your podcast about fear. I just I can't imagine that level of of 
fear and uncertainty that would, that would have been to coming, coming to this country with absolutely nothing. And then especially in that day and age as, as a, as a woman, I mean, we're, you know, culturally things were very differently then it's amazing that she just had the courage to go ahead and, and, and take that journey. Yeah. I think back on it and, you know, look, she, she was maybe three years old. She actually, today is her birthday. Uh, my mom's 78 today. So happy birthday, mom. Um, she, she was birthday, Mama Casper. There you go. Thank you. She was three and (laughs) her older sister was four and their mom did not have a spouse. They didn't have their father. And ultimately what occurred was, and it's hard to get these stories because, you know, there, there's a lot of pain associated with what occurred during the war during those period, that period yeah. of time. And some people are very giving and some people are holding those emotions in and they kind of compartmentalize them and box them in because they, they, it brings up too much. Right. And I totally respect that. But what I try to do with my mom throughout the years is, is get little bits of piece of information because I think it's important because her story is my story essentially. Um, and I'm realizing that more and more as time goes forward, Um, but she was separated. Her and her sister were separated from my grandmother when they were less than five years old and thrown in an orphanage. And somehow, and these, this is the part of the story I wish I can get a little more detail on. They were reunited after the war in Germany and Mm. my grandmother and my aunt stayed in Germany. My mother decided after, after, once she turned uh, 17, 18, she was just going to pick up and take her, her skills as a seamstress and come to New York and make a life of it. And she did, which, you know, I guess it's a, if you look back in time, a lot of people came over to New York during that period of time. I mean, even before that to start their lives in, in this great country that we live in. And it's just amazing back then, no technology, no cell phones, no GPS, uh, you know, telegraph was a way of communicating at that time and telephones yeah. And she just did it on her own. And it's a much respect and, and, and admiration for anybody who can do that. But it was my mom. So I'm super proud. Absolutely. I'd love to hear, hear her tell her story at some, some point in time. Maybe, maybe at some point in the future, you might have her on your podcast. I don't know. I'm just throwing ideas out there. Oh, I love that. And actually, that, that's one thing that I've been trying really hard. Uh, we'll get into my dad a little bit too, I'm sure. But um, just to sit down with them and, and document their history for me, but also for any generation to come or anybody else who's interested for that matter in just stories of perseverance and overcoming obstacles. Um, those were real times, real times. So yeah, I think it's a great idea. And and I'm going to tell her that you said it's important for her to do that sooner rather than later. Yes. I want to, I want to hear her story. I'm sure other people want to hear it too. So, and, and your dad too, please. Yeah. So my dad is a, is a city kid, identical twin, and, um, he is in his mid eighties now and, uh, you know, tough dude. Um, both he and my uncle were, were, they grew up on the, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. My grandfather was, uh, was a delivery man for, uh, Bloomingdale's and, uh, for, for UPS for, for his whole career, just carrying heavy furniture up walk-ups in New York city. Uh, there were no elevators back then, just, you know, hardworking blue collar dude, Uh, My grandmother worked in hospitals and also for the police department. Uh, So there was a a true work ethic that was, was instilled in my dad and my uncle at that time in service as well. Um, And the concept that nothing comes easy. You always have to work for anything that you really want in this life. So he was a kid who was, they were born at the, uh, the, the, you know, the tail end of the depression um, and clearly didn't have much. Um, 
ended up, <laughs> it's interesting because I, I think they enlisted before they were legally allowed to, but they ended up in the air force similar, you know, to, to you and, and, yeah. and your service. And, um, and, and they ended up, uh, spending time in Korea, um, and, and learning a lot there and living their lives as, as, uh, as servicemen around the world. And, um, yeah, so he, he ended up, um, uh, after, after Korea was over and coming back to, uh, to New York, going, going to school. And, you know, you talked a little bit about, uh, on, on, on my pack podcast, you talked a little bit about your transition from like the corporate world and living this life going into the service and how much of a culture shock that was. Now he's, he went from being a serviceman with my uncle, uh, and then going to NYU and being one of the oldest students in his class. And you have all these people that did not experience the military, did not experience, you know, and, and the way he describes it is, is clearly he lived his life many times over by, by providing service, all, you know, being a service person all around the world and seeing things that most people have, didn't see at that time. And uh, it was a little hard for him to, to reacclimate into society at that point. Um, but uh, look, he, he's, he's, a, he's a guy that... Um, went into service as well. He became a phys ed teacher for a, for a middle school in the South Bronx. And he worked there for his entire career. And if you know anything about the South Bronx and for anybody who's listening and doesn't know anything about the South Bronx, sixties, seventies, eighties into the nineties, South Bronx was a war zone, uh, burned out buildings, uh, crack, uh, gangs, you name it. So he was smack dab in the middle of, of a war zone on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And you talk about being still in in the center of a storm and being able to make decisions. He was an assistant principal. So he had a lot of responsibility. He spent more time with, with police detectives than he did in in his school um, dealing with all the stuff that, that kids in the area were getting into. And uh, he would come home and, and I never, I never saw my dad never complained. He never complained. Uh, which is an, another thing that I took from him as well is you have to, and I, I do complain at times. I, I'm definitely softer than my dad, but, uh, but that's something I definitely took from him. So tough guy, uh, but also, you know, very, very uh, mindful as well. I'm sure your dad complained. I think he probably was just very selective about who he complained to. He probably didn't want you to hear any of the complaining. Yeah. And, and there's, maybe he did, he probably had comrades, you know, and he had his, his <laughs> colleagues there that, that they would, uh, and especially my uncle, they used to commute together actually into the city every day. Um, yep. and, uh, long hours and just the, the junk that they would deal with. Um, I guess it's all relative, but, you know, looking back, just tremendous amount of respect for what he did for, for our family. Um, and, uh, and what he went through, um, because most people don't experience that kind of stuff and they don't choose to necessarily, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for sharing the background too on on the family. So let's transition back to you a little bit. So, you know, tell me a little bit about growing up and stuff. And then you decided to go into service in in your own form yourself because you work in, in the medical industry. How did, how did you go down that route? Uh, yeah. So, um, totally by mistake. Um, what I do for a living is it was totally not planned whatsoever. Um, coming out of high school, I, I, I told you, I kind of had these, these, uh, this passion for music and for art and for, for creativity. I never had any really thought process about going to college or what I wanted to do after. I wasn't exactly a student in high school. I was a student before high school, but in high school, I was definitely not a student. 
uh, spend more time uh, being creative and just hanging out with my friends and, and being athletic and, and all, all that. So when I, when I ultimately got into school, into, into college, uh, I went to school upstate New York, um, and my goal was to do something in music or in some sort of a creative field like television or film. I felt that I fell in line with, uh, with my personality and the things that I was interested in. Um, but I was always interested in sound also because of this music background that I had. And in parallel, because of my dad, again, he comes into the picture, he had this tremendous passion for science. And I remember as a kid, him bringing home uh, this old school microscope. It probably was from the fifties and he just brought home a microscope. And I remember him pricking his finger and putting some blood on a slide and having me look at this, the blood cells under the microscope. So that stuck with me for years also. So I had this combination of interests in science in acoustics and psychoacoustics, which is kind of the way that the brain perceives sound as well. And then it ultimately led me to take some courses in a field called audiology, which is science of hearing and balance and, uh, in the inner ear and the brain and, and neuroanatomy and neurophysiology comes into play in some cases, and psychoacoustics and all these really interesting neurological types of, uh, components. And, and then on, in parallel, you know, movement and wellness have always been a part of my world. And I've always looked for ways to kind of can combine the two. So, uh, yeah, so I'm in private practice in New York. I, I worked at Columbia Presbyterian as a clinical fellow for a couple of years, uh, I worked in large uh, practices, seeing patients on a day-to-day, -day. started my practice in Manhattan about 12 years ago, and I spend my days working with people who are dizzy, uh, trying to help understand right. why they're dizzy. Uh, stems from things like concussion, viruses, you name it, um, and ultimately trying to help them get better. So, yeah, so I guess you can consider that a service profession too. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a fascinating field. And, uh, I, I, I get a lot out of it and I get a lot out of it because patients are, are, are helped and people are helped. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I was, a, I was amongst a lot of pre-med students when I was in college and a lot of people do it for the money, but I think if you're good at it, it's because you care about people and you really do want to help them at the end of the day. And I can, I can tell by your passion and what you do that, that you're in that, that side of things. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's, I think when you're in a scientific field, um, you have to have some level of passion for what you do because things are changing so fast. They change mm -hmm. fast and slow, right? They, they, you want to, you want to put the brakes on sometimes, especially with what we're seeing in the world of, of coronavirus and how we're treating it now. The, sometimes we have to put the brakes on so we don't harm people. Um, and I'm lucky to a certain extent because I'm in a field where there's not much harm I can do to patients. Um, they're coming to me because they're already in a state that they're trying to figure out what's wrong so we can get them better. Um, right. there's no, clearly no surgery involved, no medications involved in my world. So, um, but that said, um, you have to like what you're doing because you have to stay on top of it because if you don't stay on top of the science and you don't read the literature, um, and you don't look outside of your field, which is what I'm really interested in now with all the breath work and breathing and stress response, uh, which goes back many years, you have to figure out a way to integrate that into your world. Um, because then you're just not good at what you're doing. Um, you're just a textbook provider. Um, and I think nowadays people demand and the world demands people who are looking outside of the four, the, the, the walls of the four box, the, the, the four walls of the box. Yeah 
to be able to help them and, and help them get well and help them get more than well to become optimized in certain ways. So, um, I appreciate that. I, I do enjoy what I do. I enjoy the science and I enjoy, um, just making people feel good. So, yeah. Well, and your, your philosophy towards it is why I think you're such a, a great fit to have on this podcast with, with the topic being, or this, the subject material of balance, because that's really what this podcast part of its ethos is, is like this concept of growth and personal development through balance. And uh, it's interesting for you because just from the conversations we've had already, you're a, seem like a very balanced individual already. I mean, you, you already talked about being interested in, in music and art and stuff like that, but then you're a very cerebral guy with, with being working in medicine. So you obviously are good with all the math and science and stuff like that too. And um, part of what I wanted to talk to you in this, this topic of, of balance, both from a, a literal and figurative sense, um, you know, this is this is your special topic of 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 understanding you're you're a specialist in this but to, to ask you like you seem like a balanced individual as well and where have you kind of like where have you found that how's that become part of of who you are and another question too is like have you ever found yourself in a, a place where you like you weren't you found your life wasn't in balance and and how did you kind of correct the course Wow. That's a, that's a very, very interesting question. Um, and there's so many ways that I can answer that. Um, I find myself out of balance every day. Um, I think it's a constant fight. I fight, uh, to, to stay within, and I I don't think balance is a, a center point, right? I think that there's a range, um, of, of being in balance. And sometimes we're on one side of the spectrum more than the other. Hopefully we don't fall outside of the boundaries where we're, we're imbalanced. Um, I was forced into be being more in balance. Um, and the reason why I say that is, uh, about 20 years ago, uh, I was working at Columbia at the hospital and, uh, super stressful life. Um, and meditation was a part of my life through graduate school and through some of my doctoral work. But, um, and, and I knew that it was good for me, but like everybody else, you, you start something. And at the time, now you're talking 25 years ago, maybe even more when I, when I was really starting to do some form of mindfulness meditation, it was hokey. There was not, there was not a lot of people out there talking about meditation. You didn't have your meditation apps out there. Right. There were no apps at that time. <laughs> um, and, uh, it was something that I kept very close, close to the chest because people who meditated were, were, you know, out there, right. Quote unquote. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was looked down upon, like it was Eastern versus Western kind of philosophy. Yeah. And I mean, now, now the, the science is catching up to, to realizing that there's a reason that we've intrinsically been doing that for so long. But yeah, I, I can totally understand for that period in your life, why you would want to, when you would want to almost keep that secret because certain people would probably shun you for it. hundred percent. And look, I, I didn't speak much about it and it, it was a weird, it was a weird scenario because there were people at Columbia at the time, like Dr. Oz, right. Who yeah. was doing research in the world of of mindfulness and meditation and how it relates to health? But you know, look, he was a he is and was a well respected cardiologist and cardiothoracic surgeon, 
And I would see him through the halls and all I wanted to do is ask this guy a question, right? But you don't bother people, especially at that level in a hospital when you're just a, a plebe, basically. But, you know, he was the only person who was really out there talking about meditation as it relates to uh, to medicine and healthcare outside of people like John Kabat-Zinn, who was up in at UMass, who clearly was very, has been very instrumental in bridging the gap between mindfulness and medicine and healthcare because he was doing studies back back in the day, back in the seventies and, 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 and the eighties, um, taking on the work of, uh, after Herbert Benson's work. And I, I talked a little bit about Herbert Benson, but he was a cardiologist. If you haven't read his stuff, you really have to look at his stuff. First book called the, the relaxation response, um, was the first book that kicked it off for me back in the day. Okay. Um, so in any case, so like meditation was, Oh, I, I totally digress and I'm sorry, but meditation was definitely oh. a part of my life. Um, but it was kind of very much under the covers at that time. But I was going through finishing up some doctoral work. Uh, I had just gotten married, just moved, uh, had this great job. They were super stressful. And I lost about 30 pounds in 30 days without trying. Um, just out of the blue, I was eating like a fiend. I was working out like a fiend at the time. I was about 195, 200 pounds solid working out every day, top of the world. And then all of a sudden I went down to like 168 in 30 days, felt like garbage, couldn't figure out why I thought it was stress. And long story short, had some blood taken, turned out my blood sugars were over 800, got a call from my colleague. He says, you need to get to the emergency room. This is dangerous for anybody who doesn't understand blood sugars, anywhere between 80 and 120 is considered normal. Once you get to 800, sometimes they stop measuring blood sugar at that level because it's so elevated. It's hyperglycemic. <laughs> and ultimately what that means is that you're, you're diabetic. Um, in my case, I was a late onset type one diabetic. Um, something happened. Uh, it was a virus of some sort attacked my pancreas and ultimately shut it down. And over the course of 30 days, my body was basically destroying itself without me realizing it. Um, so that was, that was a moment that was a light switch for me because I had to spend Thanksgiving that year in the hospital and, um, you have a decision to make when you're laying there and you can, you're confronted with the, the potential for your life being shortened or changed in some dramatic fashion. And as somebody who's in the military, you understand this and you've either you've experienced it, you've heard stories, you've been shot at whatever the situation might be. And this is not necessarily being shot at. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not equating it to me being in the military. But what I am saying is that when you reach a point where you are faced with your own mortality, it changes your perspective on things very, very fast, at least for some people. For me, it was a light switch. And I realized that my, I was completely out of balance, literally and figuratively, and I had to do something about it. So uh, that was the catalyst for me to actually start trying to find more balance in my life. And as I said, I struggle with it every single day. Yeah. So you, you had this huge fulcrum point. I mean, it literally turned your your world upside down. And as someone who studied medicine too, you were probably just, I mean, I can just imagine your, the, the level your, your mind was racing at, you know, like what, it, you know, what, where did I go wrong? What decisions did I make that, that, you know, this, how this happened to me? I mean, I, I, I just can't even imagine. I'm trying to just think where my mind would go just a, a million miles per second thinking about how this happened to me. And of course you could get in all kinds of, of psychological things of, you know, going down that dark path, but you, it seems like you decided to, to have a warrior mindset about it. You decided that you were kind of going to go face this as a challenge and take it on. And, and how have you gone about doing that? 
You're hundred percent correct. I, it, there was actually a period of time. So I, I was laying in the emergency room and my new wife came in and they had given me that first shot of insulin in the emergency room. And they said, so how long have you been diabetic for? And I said, for about 30 seconds, because I had just learned right before. Um, but it was, it was, it was realizing that, okay, this is probably going to be my life for the rest of my life. Unless something miraculous happens with science, which, you know, we're all hopeful for, but who knows? Sure. And, and so, but, uh, so I ended up going to sleep that night and just completely passing out from exhaustion. And I remember waking up the next morning, super early. And, uh, it was kind of a, a come to a come to terms with myself and you face yourself at that point. And I said, look, I have an opportunity right now and I could sit here and I could feel sorry for myself. And I could say, Oh, what was me? Why did this happen to me? Or I can ask myself, why did this happen to me? Um, and what can I make out of this? So I actually ended up standing up, getting out of bed, which the nurses wanted to kill me. Um, I had a baseball hat that my wife brought me. I threw it on backwards, had the silly gown with my butt hanging out the back of the gown <laughs> with my IV pole. And I'm walking the halls just to say, okay, I'm, I need to move again. Movement has always been medicine for me. Like I just needed to move again. Nurses sure. were like, you have to relax. Don't, don't do that just yet. You're not ready. It got so frustrating. This is actually kind of funny because just, just picture this, this guy walking down the hallway with his butt hanging out of the gown and the, the IV wire kept getting stuck in the pole, in the wheels. So I literally picked up the IV pole like a spear, threw it over my shoulder, and I was walking the halls with my IV pole. And I get to the elevator, and, uh, and my wife, it's, it was just the, the timing was perfect. The doors open up, and my wife is standing there as I'm just kind of walking with this pole over my arm. And I said, you got to get me the hell out of here. Uh, that's, I love that. Uh, that's such a great mental image. I mean, you were literally... You were literally going going to war against the entire hospital uh, and, and diabetes included. I love it. The ironic thing is it's, it's, it was the hospital that I worked in. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Um, and there's nothing there's nothing worse than being in the hospital. And you know, look, we're so we're so lucky that we have the medical care that we do, especially with what everybody's going through now with COVID and people yeah. on the front lines of medical care. And and I cannot say that enough. But at that point in time, I just wanted everybody to leave me alone and I just wanted to figure it out for myself and they weren't letting me. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up spending about a week in the hospital uh, through Thanksgiving, which kind of stunk, but I, I, knew, I, I knew deep down I had to get myself well so I could fight the fight once I got out of there. And, and then how, how have you been doing that with that sense? I mean, obviously you had to make a lot of lifestyle changes, but how are, how are you doing as far as like being a diabetic and you, do you feel like you've, how's your quality of life now? I mean, I, I feel like you from everything I know about you, like you you seem like, like I would never would have guessed by looking at you that you're diabetic. So please let me know, like how, how does like, how does Craig be like, well, I'm a diabetic, but I'm not a diabetic kind of mindset. Well, that's a, that's a really interesting question. You know, it, it's always a part of me, right? It's always mm -hmm. there. Uh, but I don't let it rule my day to day. Yeah. You're not resigned to it. No, it, it's not something that dictates, what I do. So I made at that point, and that was 20, almost 21 years ago, I made it, made a specific effort, effort to say, I'm never going to let this be an excuse for why I can't do something. Um, now look, there are very real situations where I cannot do something. So if my blood sugars are super low, I have to treat that. And you have to just last night, I, I, my, I have what's called a continuous glucose monitor. It's basically yep. a sensor that I wear. And every five minutes, it's sending information to my cell phone. And 
it's beautiful because it allows me to sleep at night without worrying about going low and then ultimately falling unconscious because if your blood sugars go too low or too high, you can fall into to, to some, to a state that you don't want to be in, let's say. Yeah. And, um, so look, four o'clock this morning, my, my blood sugar alarm goes off and I'm like, Oh, I got to deal with that. But there's, we talk about stress a lot and how we're managing stress mm-hmm. and inoculating yourself to it. Initially, when I saw those numbers, it was a nightmare for me. I was like, what do I do? How do I deal with this? Now it's kind of like, okay, I have to take charge and, 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 uh, do something to make myself better. But to answer your question, um, I don't let it rule my life. Uh, I've, I've run, you know, I'm not an ultra marathon runner by any chance, but I've run half marathons for charity. I've run endurance races through mountains. I've, you know, uh, exercise every single day of my life, uh, keep super active. Um, no, it doesn't dictate who I am and it doesn't define who I am. Uh, but it is an important part of who I am. Um, and it helps me think about things in a different way. Um, I'm more appreciative, I think than ever before, uh, because I realize how delicate life really is and how, how amazing the human body is without us even realizing it it does things for us that we don't even realize. And when you have to take charge of it, that's when you realize that, um, you know, it's, it's, it, you can't be on autopilot for your entire life and just completely, um, forget about what your body does for you. And I'm, I'm super appreciative. It's awesome, man. I think, I think a lot of people who are struggling with, with diabetes can, could look to you as, as, as a, a role model or mentor, uh, hear, hearing your story and how, how well you fought against it and, and adapted to the, having to make that lifestyle change. I appreciate that. And look, there, there's, there's plenty of people out there that are, are, are doing much, uh, much bigger things than me. And I look to those people for inspiration and I've spoken to a lot of those people on my podcast throughout the years. Sure. Um, but I, I appreciate the, the thought and, uh, look, if I can serve as, um, as, as a model or even as some form of small inspiration for anybody, even if it's a parent who's struggling with their kid to, to, to helping their kid understand that diabetes or any other chronic ailment for that matter, uh, should never hold them back from achieving what they want to in life. Then I'm happy to do that. Even if it's a small way. That's awesome, man. So I, I have to transition a little bit and ask you, um, as we're faced with the current COVID-19 pandemic, um, it's, we're, we're going to have to just in, in staying with a the theme of balance. We're going to have to, to find this balance um, now that we're kind of realizing that we've put life on hold for a long period of time. And, and um, you know, we're in some places we're starting to see things normalize a bit as far as in the numbers of people who are getting it, as well as the, the number of people that are unfortunately passing from it. Um, but we're also really noticing there's a lot of economic impact from people being, you know, basically legally, legally and socially obligated to, to not go to work, um, et cetera, et cetera. So can, can I ask your opinion as a professional in the healthcare industry and, and someone who's been in and out of, out of hospitals, both as, as, a, as a doc and, and as a patient, how do you think we should be striking a balance in, in this return to normalcy? How do we both, how do we both, um, get people back to normalcy while protecting our people that we need to, who are still susceptible to this thing. That's, that's a huge question. And I think, look, from my perspective, I'm not sure if I am, um, equipped 
professionally, scientifically to, to, to speak on the topic of when it's appropriate for us. I could give you my opinion, you know, and look from a medical perspective, I can't comment on that. I, I, I wouldn't touch that because there's a lot smarter people out there again, who are, are, are baffled by, by this. I can talk from a perspective of, of someone who's living in New York and yeah. we're definitely a, a, a hotbed component of what's been going on from a global perspective. Um, starting with what happened in Westchester, not too far from where I live. And then ultimately in New York city where my practice is. And then also from a, a person who has, uh, you know, wife who's a teacher and kids who are in school and a business that I have to run that look, ultimately, if I don't get back to work, the business could very well fail. Uh, so I can talk to you from that perspective. Um, Look, I think that there's, there is a delicate balance. I think that we have to be super mindful of the fact that this is something that we don't know, have all the information about. Mm -hmm. I think that the more information that we get, the better decisions we can make. I think that, uh, you know, and not, not a political discussion whatsoever, because that's not, not my nature necessarily, but, um, our governor in New York has done a fabulous job in terms of, uh, making sure that everybody's informed on a day-to-day -day basis. So we make better decisions helping us understand why he's making the recommendations that he makes. And then ultimately it's a mindful return to work that uh, can be controlled because we're seeing in different parts of the world, if they open up the spigot too fast, um, cases are, are, are spiking again. And we even see that in different parts of the country, like Los Angeles right. for that matter. Look, LA opened up last Friday as we we're recording this and they all of a sudden started to pull back a little bit on, on, opening up their, their world a little bit. So I think we have to, to look at the data. I think that the, the, the further along we get with this, we're going to get more testing, which hopefully the testing becomes more uh, reliable because we're starting to get some data about some of the testing that is giving us a lot of false negatives. So we need better testing. We need more widespread testing. We need these tracers. We need to slowly bring businesses back. I am a big believer that we have to get back to work. We can't stay sequestered forever. It's not good for our economy, but it's not good for people's psychology. People need to feel like they're contributing, right? right. Um, so, um, so I think that, you know, it, just to kind of sum up, I think that, that striking a balance is the key here. It's really important, though, to use the data points, um, I, I don't believe in just knee jerk reactions and saying, see, the one thing that frustrates me, and again, I don't want to offend anybody whatsoever. And, and that's not my goal here. I, I, I hate the fact that this is being politicized in so many ways. And I hate the fact that it's becoming a, a freedom issue. I don't understand it. And I really want to understand it. Um, so it, it this is a, a public health issue first. It is a public health issue. Um, um, I think again, the more information we get, the better decisions we can make. And ultimately, uh, we're going to be able to open up if we have that information, um, and then shut down slowly. If we start to see spikes, it's, it's gotta be calculated. It has to be sorry for rambling there. There's, there's, it's, it's a complicated thing. It really is complicated. No, it, it is. And I didn't, and I didn't ask you a simple, a simple question. I mean, it's, this is, this is a question that everybody's asking right now. Right. And it's causing a lot of debate. And, and I agree with you that, uh, we do, we do need to be looking at the information, um, Part of part of the whole thing that's been so frustrating about this is the amount of false information that's been yeah. that's being produced from it, right? And decisions decisions both from a logical and emotional 
uh, perspective coming from from false information, whether it's you know deaths deaths that are being reported that are inaccurate as far as the cause of death actually being COVID nineteen, or to um, you know people just uh, thinking that local businesses are are closed when they're actually open, uh, to you know the the, pro- the proper protocols of what's being re- recommended versus what's required with face coverings and everything else. I mean, just it's so crazy because we have we have so much more information than ever, right. In our day and age. And, and it's almost, I mean, you can have too much, right? Like if you have, you can have information overload then. And that, I mean, we talk about tactical decision-making in the military, right. And if you have so much information um, that you can't make a decision inaction can be just as bad as making the wrong decision. Um, So I'm personally thankful that we have such hardworking people in our, in our medical space. And and I, I do think we have, you know, again, not to make this a political situation, but I do think that we have people in the White House that do have the education are working around the clock to to look at the information, trying to get the accurate information so that we can disseminate the correct information and, and keep working. And what my challenge to every, anybody out there is, um, you know, if you're out there making decisions based off information, just fact check and don't take anything that you're seeing from one source as hearsay and spend the extra extra couple minutes to make sure the information that you're getting is validated and accurate before you make a decision on it. That's, that's my personal opinion on it. Yeah. And that's the point where I'm at right now, actually. And, and it, I, I find myself shifting a little bit because as we get, I think that the sign of, of having a, a little bit of intelligence is being able to change your opinion based on what, what facts are presenting themselves to you and to the world. Yeah. And for, for the, look, I closed my office now it's two months. We closed down on March 16th. Um, and we were on a little bit of the early side, but we were in the middle of New York city and there's no doubt that coronavirus was with us from January, February, as now they're telling us. Right. So I know we made the right decision, but there was that component of uncertainty. There was a fear factor involved. There was, you know, you want to make sure a lot of our patients are older. They're in the, the, the group of people where, uh, higher risk, uh, of potential, um, uh, bad things happening if they, if they get COVID, um, now I'm looking at it as, okay, so look at the statistics a little bit more. And as we get more population data out there, what is the actual infection rate? What is the, and, and look, any lives lost is horrible, clearly, yes. not minimizing that whatsoever, but what is the percentage of people that are losing their lives as a result of COVID or COVID related? Whole other factor with kids now getting Kawasaki uh, here in New York and in the States, which we didn't see anywhere else in the world, supposedly, which is a whole other conversation. Um, so what, what's the risk reward, right? And right. I'm, I'm starting to figure out how to balance that a little bit more in my mind, because as I look to reopen and we're making steps in our practice to, look, we have to source PPEs and we have to make sure that we're reducing patient flow in the office and paperless everything and and testing temperatures and saturated oxygen levels and all these different factors beforehand, there's an added expense to doing business. Right. And then on top of that, you're not guaranteed that you're going to see the same patient flow. So now you're in the most expensive part of the world, expensive real estate, reduced patient flow, reduced office time with each patient, expanded office time with each patient. So less patients per day. How do you, how do you run a business in that type of an environment? So this is the conundrum that a lot of us are facing right now. So Absolutely. that's why I said it's, 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 this is going to be, as we talked about uh, earlier today, uh, is making tactical decisions on the fly. Um, mm-hmm. and, and 
and just using all avail of all available data points to make it a reasonable decision that's not going to harm anybody. Yep. Absolutely, man. I, and I appreciate your your perspective on it because you're you're in the thick of it being in New York and you're you're way more educated than I am as far as from a medical standpoint. So to, to me, your your perspective on it has a lot of value. And it's I, not and it's neither right or wrong either. Yeah, I appreciate that. And look, I, I I the medical side of things, again, I have no idea. I literally have no idea. That's not my world. Um yeah. uh, I am in healthcare and yes, I, I do have colleagues that are frontline and all that, but um I don't experience this firsthand. I would never say that. You know, I experienced New York firsthand. Right. But what's going on in these hospitals and what has been going on, I have no idea just from what I'm hearing and reading and, and talking to colleagues about. That's it. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're going to see a cycle after this has all started to calm down too of, of post-traumatic stress type symptoms from a lot of our healthcare workers who have been um, seeing this kind of level of, of death and trauma and stuff like that. So it's, it's, I mean, this is far from over, even when the, when the, the virus starts to subside and, and the, the numbers start to normalize, we're going to have a whole new series of things. And, and I think my perspective on it is, um, and this comes from, from being ingrained in the military culture is, is doing the proper after action report. What did we do? What did we do? Right. What did we do wrong? Let's, let's go, let's go and, and try to do the best that we can to prepare, you know, based off what we did right and wrong for the next time this comes through. Cause this is not, this is, I mean, this is going to be a continued evolution. And like anybody that knows anything about molecular biology or virology knows is that viruses mutate. I mean, it's the reason that we put out a new flu vaccine every single year. And is it's, it's, that's, this isn't going away. It's, this isn't something that we just wait out and then it's gone. It's going to continue to evolve and we just need to be flexible. And, and, and just like you said, not being kind of ideological tied to one decision or another, but be able to keep taking in the facts to, to make the proper decisions with the information that we're given. You know, I think that, that, that kind of after action report is, is happening on a regular basis inside of our hospitals, not only in the States, but also across the world. And, and I know that, that we're seeing research studies come out on very small sample sizes because any information is, is critical right now to help starting to help to start to really understand the decision tree and how people are treated. Um, so I think that's happening, but I think you're right on, on a grander scale is once right. things start to calm down is compiling all those data points and really seeing the, the bigger trends of what happened and who knows, like this thing is such a weird virus that like we, we, I just kind of touched upon this Kawasaki virus, like kids are getting sick and having heart attacks. Eight-year-olds in New York are having heart attacks because of, of COVID related issues. Right. That's unheard of. It's, well, it's. I and again, too, on that, too, like that's going to hu cause a huge emotional response from people because nobody wants to see – no one wants to see children die. I mean there are certain people out there that are, that are, that are going to be heartless about what we're experiencing with COVID-19 and label it as, well, it's a, old people are dying. They've had – you know what I mean? Like that's – I'm not saying that's – it's, that's that's a, a perspective. It's not very, a very empathetic one, but nobody wants to see children dying. Yeah, of course. And, and look, it, it's, it's – uh, it, <laughs> It's, it's the patients. And the one thing I was talking with, uh, with, with Emily Hightower about from Intrinsic Way on Colorado with her work on stress is you know, physicians have a higher incidence of suicide than the general population. And this was before coronavirus. Right. Who knows what's going to happen with physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, 
those people who have been physicians assistants who have been in the thick of it for the past eight weeks plus, how are they managing their stress and what skills are they being given? Now, granted, when you're in the middle of it, you're just working and they're doing their job. Just like anybody in the military, you do your job and then you kind of figure it out after afterwards, I'm assuming. But there has to be some sort of skills that are given to people uh, to their own mental health status to make sure that they can do their jobs effectively so that they can continue to do their jobs and that they're not harming themselves in any way, whether it's taking their own life or, or, you know, less than taking their own life, anything that's going to less make them less human, um, going forward. Um, that's the scary proposition for me is how we're going to come out of this psychologically. Mm. Yep. I agree with you, man. Um, we'll have we'll have to see and unfortunately we have we have people like emily hightower out there that are do, doing resiliency training and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to her next week too um because i, I do think a, a big key part of it is giving people these these tools empowering people with these tools to help handle yeah. a lot of the stress that's revolving around this yeah um and uh kind, kind of on that too like talking about that empowerment and with with kind of being able to handle the mental space and the psychological space the, the warrior monk philosophy is, is big on this, this podcast. And we've talked about balance a lot. Um, so I wanted to ask you, like when you hear the term warrior monk, um, what does that mean to you? What does the term warrior monk mean to me? Well, there's, there's a beautiful dichotomy there, right? It's, it's, it seems like on the surface, there's kind of this implication as the warrior, we need to plan, we need to make things hap- happen. We need to be proactive, and then on the other end of the spectrum, from the monk perspective, we need to be still, we need to observe and kind of let life unfold as it, as it will. Um, but as a total, it requires kind of the balance of these two in order, from my perspective, we need a balance of these two in order to live a life of meaning, um, of fulfillment, of giving, of service, um, so I, I look at it, I look at it from that perspective. There's, there's this proactive side of things and there's this kind of, it implies that there's an aggressive side on one side. And then on the monk side, there's a, a less aggressive, more cerebral side of things. Um, not to say that, that you can't be aggressive as a monk, right. Or you can't be more cerebral as a warrior. Uh, but it does imply that there's uh, these two sides of the coin that have to work together in order for someone to be complete. Absolutely. I like your take on it. And, um, on a personal level, do you, do you feel like you've had anyone in your life who's, who's been a warrior monk, someone that you've looked to as a, as a mentor or as, as a teacher? Yeah. Throughout life, you, you hopefully have some really good mentors. Um, I, I kind of go back to my dad, uh, with respect to this. And, uh, I know that he'll probably end up listening to this because I'm going to share it with him. Um, and you know, again, he was this, this tough, city kid and he, he, he served his country and he came back and he served, served kids who were in an in inner city school in probably the worst part of the country, if not the world at that period of time, uh, with gangs and drugs and burned out buildings. He never left, you know, he spent his entire career, um, and, you know, he retired from position and, and, and he, he, he felt he was needed there. You know, he, he, he uh, he, he, so he had this tough nature about him and, and, and even though he had this kind of toughness to him, there was always this kind of this, this, this still and passionate side as well. I always think back to, uh, his, his passion for native American culture and ways. So my dad, again, he's 85. 
And since he was a kid, he would spend hours in, in libraries in New York City just researching, reading books about Native American history and culture and, and, and observation and kind of this respect for life as it kind of unfolds in front of us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I took that from him also. Like he has this long history of, of, of you can ask my dad anything about any Native American uh, uh, tribe, uh, area of the country, uh, what they contributed, chiefs, you name it. He has some information to talk to you about. And going through his library as a kid, I looked at, you know, the spiritual components of, of Native American culture and history. And through that, I, I developed this, this wonderful appreciation for a different side of, of living, right? And yeah. you talk about him as a city guy. And uh, I just remember we moved to the suburbs and he was planting gardens, he never saw grass outside of Central Park, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, he's 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 kind of becoming one with the earth again. Which I kind of, as a kid, I would laugh all the time. Like, what are you doing planting a garden now? I'm here planting gardens because I'm afraid we're not going to get fruits or vegetables anymore. Because of what's going on with COVID, right? But uh, but but he definitely was an influence and an inspiration from from that perspective. He had that tough kind of side to him, uh, that service side, and and just kind of jump into war. And then that other side where he was that quiet warrior that would, would ultimately, uh, you know, be there for his family and, and, and do the right thing and, and take care of himself and take care of the land. That's awesome. I, I appreciate you sharing that too. And actually it sounds like your dad and my dad probably have a lot in common because my dad too is also a, um, a, a big studier of Native American culture. And my, I grew up in a house covered in Southwestern Native American art and Oh, we got to link them up then. They'll have a good conversation. Yeah, I think they would. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome, man. I like hearing that so much. It it makes me smile because it just, I can, I cannot just imagine, imagine our dads linking and on on stories and stuff like that. So I don't know, maybe maybe we can make that happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know he'd appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, so please, uh, tell people, I mean, you have your own podcast, right? So it's, it's how we've kind of linked up is through social media. And, uh, I've, I've only listened to one of your episodes so far and I'm, I'm sorry to say, but your most recent with Emily Hightower of intrinsic way. And I thought the episode was great. I'd highly encourage anybody listening to my podcast to go follow you and, and listen to you as well. Cause you've got some really great content and, and great exposure or, um, excuse me, uh, content on your your podcast and as well. So for anybody who's a listener of mine or who's, who's found me, who wants to go listen to you, please tell them how they can connect with you and find your stuff. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to share that also. Yeah. So the, the podcast is the bravest podcast and the website is the bravest life.com. Uh, you could find the podcast pretty much on any platform that you listen to your podcasts. And uh, each episode, we have a full page, show notes, all the resources on there. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a data-driven guy, just in case you haven't realized, and I like information. So I figured anybody out there who's listening to what I put out there also would appreciate some information uh, about what we talk about during the show. You know, the, the show is basically focused on on the concept of resilience um, and and building resilience and talking to people and learning from people who have overcome tremendous obstacles despite, uh, despite what kind of fell across their path and they've gone on to do amazing things. Um, and then there's also people on there like Emily, as we've been talking about, who talk about the skills that we all need to develop 
in order to lead a more fulfilled, resilient uh, life where we can contribute. And that's kind of the, the final part of why I do what I do is, look, we all put out podcasts for, for various reasons. Um, you and I are very much aligned in terms of our reasons. And look, at the end of it, my job is to, to try to tell a story, uh, to figure out what makes a person tick, and then ultimately learn from them so my audience can learn from them as well. And after that, uh, the primary purpose is to support causes that ultimately are meaningful to me. So again, any causes that are in the world of type 1 diabetes or helping people who have chronic issues overcome those obstacles, I'm all for it. And then again, any any sort of um, uh, uh, people, uh, organizations that are there to help us become more resilient, learn how to live a more resilient life. Uh, those are the, the organizations that I'm trying to support through the, through the podcast as well and through my efforts. So I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to say that. And, uh, yeah, so the bravest life.com, my handle on Instagram is at Craig Casper, C R A I G K A S P E R. Uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I'm not so, so, uh, active on anymore. It's kind of a family thing, but you can also find the bravest life on Facebook. That, that page is relatively active. Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for, again, reaching out to me and, and setting the wheels in motion for us to do this. I've really enjoyed our conversation, both uh, that we're, that's going to be on your podcast in the near future and this one that we've had today. And uh, I look forward to more content uh, that you've been putting out in the future. I appreciate it likewise. And, and I appreciate everything that you're doing. I love your perspective. Uh, and I'm looking forward to learning more from you and also the things that you put out into the world through your podcast thank you. uh, in the future. So and uh, always happy to help in any way possible, brother. So thank you. Yeah, man, absolutely. Stay safe. You as well. Take care, man. Well, there you have it. Thank you guys again for joining me. And a special thank you to Craig for joining me on the podcast, getting me on his podcast, reaching out, being an awesome dude all the way around in general. Guys, if you haven't, please go check out his podcast. He is putting out some great content. He's a great interviewer. So just go check out The Bravest Podcast and wherever you get your podcast as well as thebravestlife.com. And you can also find him on Instagram at at Craig Casper, C-R-A-I-G-K-A-S-P-E-R. Craig, personally, dude, thank you for reaching out to me and making this happen. Uh, This is what I've been really trying to do is connect with people, have them reach out to me, ask me questions. I can ask them the questions, have cool conversations, share some life experiences, and this is what it's all about, guys. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would encourage you, please go over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a five-star review at the Warrior Monk Podcast. While you're at it, go over to Craig's. Leave him a good review as well. I really want to make this grow. I really want to make it happen. If you know someone you think is a Warrior Monk, if you know someone that you think would enjoy the Warrior Monk Podcast, please share it with them. Uh, Let's connect. Let's ask questions. Let's have a conversation. And let's promote this concept of personal growth through balance. Thank you guys again for joining me, and I look forward to giving you more content in the future. This is Lance, signing out.